This is the CVBT Audio Interview Podcast, where you'll get ideas about improving your bottom line in business and in life from experts around the world. In disruptive times like these, it takes a new type of leader to guide businesses, a leader for whom innovation seems to be part of their DNA. Maureen Metcalf, founder of the Innovative Leadership Institute in Columbus, Ohio, says these new leaders can mean increased profitability and increased employee effectiveness. Such leaders don't just walk in the door, though. But Ms. Metcalf says they may already be on your staff, just needing the right guidance. She joins us on this CVBT audio interview podcast to tell us more. Okay, Maureen, let's set the table for our listeners, and that is, if you wouldn't mind uh, telling them a little bit about yourself and your company. So I uh, run the Innovative Leadership Institute. I spent 12 years in big consulting, PricewaterhouseCoopers and Anderson Consulting slash Accenture, and left with the question of what else can we do to help transformation succeed? And so... Um, And now I also left 20 years ago to start what was at the time Metcalf and Associates and morphed into the Innovative Leadership Institute. So um, we focus on the intersection of helping leaders know who they are inside and aligning their behaviors with with their values, with the, the culture of the organization and with the systems and processes. So our focus is the intersection of individual and organizational transformation. And our goal is to help elevate the quality of leadership around the world so that we can create a future that um, more aligns with what we would all like to see for our children and grandchildren. Maureen, let me play devil's advocate. If somebody has reached the C-suite level, uh, haven't they already aligned everything in one good, good old straight line? Um, you might think that, but um, it would not take a, a big analysis to look around and see people who are not aligned. And the other is, even if I am aligned briefly, think about the volume of change we are currently facing. So most uh, folks, especially in the C-suite, are running organizations that are implementing a significant volume of change. And often those change initiatives conflict with each other with regard to something like culture. So if I am buying companies and running a federated model, and then I implement an enterprise software system, that system requires or, or is more effective and allows the enterprise to be more effective if people Uh, work in a way that is um, more like a one company model than a federated model. And so we often as leaders make decisions about what will help our business be more effective. And yet uh, we don't attend to the, the prior decisions that were all aligned and one simple choice or one complex choice often changes. And so as leaders, we need to continually evaluate not only the bottom line impact but how that rolls through our business and if you want i can give an example or we can move on no no please do give an example okay 
So I was working with a family-owned business um, that sells fast food. They were looking at how do we increase our profit margin and the way they proposed doing that, it was gonna save them $6 million, is to limit the amount of food that employees get on each shift. So, so the free food bonus. At this organization at that point in time did not have a cap on how much uh, food the employees were allowed to eat. So um, this, from, a, from the systems and financial lens, limiting food seemed to make sense. It's also important to, to point out the demographics that while we think, many of us think that fast food is um, kids who live with their parents, the bulk of the employees were actually people who were out of their parents' homes. So, so for some folks living on minimum wage, their fast, the food they eat on a shift is the only food they're gonna get that day. So, so the limitation of food has a significant consequence. When we looked at what did the leaders of the organization value, again, family-owned company, most of them joined or stayed with the business because they value the intersection of food and community. What people come together and eat, we go to business meetings to eat. It's not always driving through the drive-through and um, eating as we're going down the street, although sometimes for us it is. Um, and then the behavior, if we implement this policy, will we actually fire good employees because they've eaten too much? Because now eating, if you eat more than your prescribed amount, means you're stealing, and that's a fireable offense. Uh, if we looked at the organization's culture and values, uh, again, it, it is around feeding the souls of the community, and yet does a policy of limiting food consumption align with that? And then finally, in the systems bucket, how do we know? So do we have to update the accounting software to now track the cost of the employee meals and ensure that over an eight or a 10 or a 12 hour shift, people are only eating the prescribed amount and how much of that $6 million savings is eaten up by the, the system implementation, especially if it's customizing a traditional software uh, program and then rolling through the life of this policy as the, the uh, point of sale equipment is changed, does, do these programs have to continually be updated? So it, helping leaders think through the implications of these broader, um, what would seem to be a simple decision and create that alignment uh, it is not as simple as it seems on the surface. And what I can say for that organization in that instance, what seemed like a no-brainer um, of limiting food ended up being something they chose not to do. It, and they went further to say, we are we're gonna use this process of alignment as we make key decisions. Just uh, out of curiosity, in that case, were the founders involved in that decision to uh, cut back on the food? I think, if I remember properly, and this is a few years ago, it, we were on generation two. So the initial founders were not. But gen two, both uh, the CFO was not a family member. But when the, that group of the top 40-ish people 
uh, took the decision, the the Gen two people were involved in the conversation. And some, sometimes it's it's felt that a family owned business is a little bit more, uh, how shall I put it, human toward the folks who work for them. Is that something you find? I do, and that was, I believe, why they took the decision not to implement the policy. On the surface, it seemed like a good policy, but when they looked at the the folks who worked for them, had many of them had been, this is this was their career. So they're 30 or 40 years old, and now you're changing the arrangement. It's, it's again, not the you know, three-month tenure high school kids. So, so they had created an environment where they valued their employees. They paid above market wage, which not a ton higher, and they gave some benefits for people who stayed there for a long time. You mentioned uh, earlier in the conversation that we're living in times of, of rapid change. Some of us would say it's almost chaotic, uh, uh, certainly in this uh, election year. How, how does that affect what you are uh, teaching to business executives? Are they finding they are being battered by external forces that are not really business? Um, some are business and some are not business. Um, so as we're recording this, we're looking at the coronavirus in China and how is that impacting the tariffs? I think yesterday, uh, and I realize this will air and be downloaded well after this, this issue is resolved, whichever way it's resolved. But I think yesterday the uh, Chinese changed their stance on tariffs because companies are some doing less business with China right now. Um, so there are certainly always externalities and in some cases huge ones. The other is the technology induced chaos, things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, analytics, what companies will be able to do and then just advances in technology. So, um, the World Economic Forum said at the end of 2018 that in four years, so three years from now, half of employees would be impacted by machine learning and bots and um, that about a third of jobs would be changed dramatically, tasks would go away. So if we think about traditionally people like me who go um, to an airport, I don't want to go up to the counter and wait in line. I want to go to the machine and get the thing and go through the next machine. And um, the less I have to interact with a person, in some cases, the better. Not that I don't like people, but if I can go through no line in a machine, that will be my choice. We haven't yet had as much of the impacts we'll see going forward where um, highly skilled, highly educated people's jobs will also shift. So think about the ability of um, machines to now read a, a mammogram and identify nuances in that uh, film that a human eye may not see as it compares tens of thousands or millions of these films and if if each time the machine diagnosis is then corrected 
that the machine is going to learn is going to have more experiences and learn more quickly than a human would. So we're now seeing also machines being <coughs> being more effective in some cases than humans because of the volume of data. Now, as a as an owner of a, a hospital practice, what what diseases will be solved with new technology or or um, what treatments will be far more effective and what diagnosis will change and how will the human machine split change and I think in the next decade uh, we as uh, leaders are going to see across the business landscape not just hospitals dramatic changes because of what can be automated not everyone will choose to automate but the options will be there. And in some cases, choosing not to automate will allow our competitors to get the advantage of technology that we may not take. Now, when does a business know to call you in? When, they, when your phone rings, what, who's on the other end? And what are they telling you? You know, it ranges. We work with a lot of technology people uh, and engineers. So, I think part of that has been happenstance and how our work has unfolded. And because we are assessment heavy and process heavy, I think that people in the technology space often find our work more comfortable than they would someone who is not uh, structured the same way we are. Uh, but a, a call, we also do a radio show and I do things like an annual trends show. So if someone is paying attention to the annual trends, and as you asked the question, disruption is our first point, and second for this year, this year being 2020, adaptive leadership is required. We as leaders are part of the systems we lead, and we need to change ourselves so that we can uh, sustain the changes our systems are making. Hopefully people also um, hear that kind of content and hear radio shows like your very important podcasts and recognize that while they are highly effective, they may not be equipped to deal with the volume of change they are currently are, are going to see going forward. You have been very generous with your thoughts and observations and, and predictions for the future, I, I would say. What, uh, where can our listeners get more information about you and your company? A website, mm. perhaps? Thank you. Yes, we do have a website. It is www.innovativeleadershipinstitute. And on the site, we have a lot of, um, we blog every week. And so in those blogs are a, a heavy content. Uh, we're we're not quite in the beach reading category, and also we I, I mentioned we do podcasts, so you can uh, if there is a topic you're interested in something like uh, I was able to interview um, a researcher who wrote the uh, report for Microsoft on implementing artificial intelligence in the UK. So if you're interested in some of these trends, we try to provide more robust information. Of, about what we're seeing, and those are also on the website, as well as thought leadership pieces. 
Maureen, what would you like to add that we've not had a chance to talk about that you really want to get out? Well, first, thank you, Douglas, for all of your work in informing leaders and businesses about what they need to be doing to be successful. I think it's, you know, we live in a time that is absolutely amazing. We are going to see the end of significant diseases in the next decade, I believe, and some transitions that will help make our world a much better place. And it is us as leaders who get to make that impact. And if we opt not to, uh, the legacy we leave is not as positive. So uh, my invitation is to leaders, whether you use our information or not, do what you need to do to really leave the world better as we have these openings for transformation. You've been listening to the CVBT Audio Interview Podcast, one-on-one interviews with experts in business and personal growth. Keep up to date with all of our podcasts and news that impacts business by subscribing to our daily email newsletter. To sign up for a free introductory subscription, please send us your preferred email address. Our email is editor at biznews.com. That's spelled B-I-Z-G-N-U-S dot com. Thanks for listening.